0: Hello! You're listening to Drawn to the Flame, a podcast for aficionados of Arkham Horror, the card game. Every fortnight, or month, or whenever Peter and I can manage it, we get together and record a podcast which aims to consider in detail some particular aspect of this arcane confection. That might be focusing on an individual investigator, or looking at new player cards, or it might be a trait or a technique to help you combat the darkness. Or it could be something completely different. I'm your host, Frank, and today I'm joined by... It's me, Peter. Hello,
1: Frank. Hi, Peter. How are you? I'm very well, I'm very well. As we were just discussing before we recorded, uh, people might not know I'm sitting next to a tarantula as we record. Yeah,
0: uh, shockingly, I also didn't know that. I
1: think it casts all of the previous
0: episodes in a new light, and I'm going to go back and re-listen to all of them now that I know that you have a tarantula whispering in your ear.
1: I don't often uh, include her on the podcast. Uh, she doesn't have much to say about Arkham. She's, she's more of a Game of Thrones player.
0: <laughs> now, I have a question. Her name is Daisy. That's right, yes. Is, is she named after Daisy Walker the Librarian, or is Daisy the Walker the Librarian named after your pet tarantula?
1: Well, we we certainly got the pet tarantula before I came across Daisy Walker the Librarian. She, she was quite young. Here's, here's a spider fact, a free spider fact. Do you know how long <laughs> how Chilean Rose tarantulas can live for? No, I don't. I'm going to guess uh, 15 years. To near, up to 20 years. Oh, okay. That was, that was close. Yeah. That's Are you pretty a, impressive. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it's, yeah, it's, the females live a lot longer than the males, but it's one of those things, actually, they haven't been kept in captivity for that long, so they might live a lot longer. People aren't quite sure. Oh, wow. Okay interesting there's a a free spider fact for our listeners (laughs) at no extra not
0: just not just arkham horror chat get all these freebies so what are we talking about in this episode and what kind of spoiler warning do our listeners need
1: well what we thought we'd do today is talk about encounter cards and encounter keywords i think someone had suggested we would look at an episode like this You, you might remember remember better than i do frank yeah, I think a couple of people have actually asked about it, so yeah. Well, here we go. It's it's common common request then. So, we're going to look at encounter cards across basically everything released so far. So, we'll be probably fairly specific about cards, but
0: that means if you've not played a particular scenario, you might not get the story spoiled for you, but you might get a particular card spoiled for you. And so, if you're, if your joy is in the individual cards in given scenarios, you might want to be a little bit wary of this episode. Is that fair to say? I think that's fair to say, yes.
1: So where where do we begin? Well, i, I, I tell you what. Here, here's where we start. What What is an encounter card and how does it affect the game of Arkham Horror?
0: Arkham Horror, broadly speaking, given that it's a card game, is divided up into two types of cards. Player cards, which are cards that the players can control, and then there are encounter cards, and they are what the game has to to combat the players and provide some kind of a challenge, right? That is that a fair?
1: Yeah. So if if this was a a computer game, say it it would almost be like the AI of the the game playing against you.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And then within that, I suppose there are there are scenario cards, which are the act and agenda, the scenario reference card. And there are also locations which fall, broadly speaking, under this remit. But then really what we're thinking and focusing about in this episode is those cards that get shuffled to create the encounter deck. And they are of two types, treacheries and enemies.
1: Well, sometimes of
0: it's locations as well, isn't it? Sometimes locations are shuffled into the encounter deck, but broadly speaking, treacheries and enemies. Did you hear how I paused when I said that as well? And I was sort of desperately thinking, just wait for a third type? Just wait (laughs) for Pedantic Peter to come in and... (laughs) No, it's a a good point. There are some scenarios where where locations might be in there. And there are some scenarios where there are other other card types, like assets, shuffled into the encounter deck as well. So I, I suppose it's not entirely a given... That the encounter deck is only enemies and treacheries, but broadly speaking, it is.
1: So, so first of all, let, let's talk about encounter cards and how they work and the kind of things people can expect to see on them. And I think then we'll we'll talk about maybe some tactics to deal with the different types of encounter cards.
0: Yeah, that sounds like a a good idea.
1: So, a lot of encounter cards have this; uh, they're either enemies or they're a treachery. And when you draw it, it says usually says something like Revelation on it, right? Yeah. So let, let's talk about the ones that aren't enemies first. Yeah. Usually they say something like Revelation on. We now, as of Path to Carcosa, know what the flip side of Revelation is. Yes.
0: Yeah. Oh, that's a nice way of putting it. Yeah.
1: Which is hidden. <laughs> so so a card of Revelation, you you flop it straight down onto the table, flap it down, as you've written in our show notes, and then you do what it says. Yeah. I suppose the, the important thing about Revelation is it, it is
0: about revealing it, and I suppose that's important because if you're playing multiplayer, there are plenty of people who might want to help you or commit cards to your test as well. So even if it's something as simple as a rotting remains, test willpower three, take horror for each point you fell by, If the, if all four of you are together, it's worth putting down what you've revealed on the table so everyone can see it in case someone wants to say, oh, I can help you with that, or in case... The three people you're playing with all want to look at you and smile and say, nope, can't help, and leave you to it.
1: Yes, quite, yeah. Uh, In a way, this is the basic structure of an encounter card that isn't an enemy. It says Revelation, and then it'll have something like a test on it, usually, or or a requirement of some sort. You have to do something, or, you know, maybe you just take some damage. Yeah. And typically, the, the kind of skills that are tested on encounter cards, it's quite often willpower, isn't it? Yes, a lot of people I say this. Predominantly willpower, yeah. I'd, I'd be interested to see someone go through and see all the things that are tested on the encounter cards.
0: Yeah, I would, I would hazard a guess that it's probably in the region of 85% willpower, given how many times Striking Fear appears in the scenarios, which is five willpower testing cards and then two dissonant voices. So I think that just pushes the percentage of willpower up very high. And then I would guess that the next... Most tested is agility, and then after that, intellect. And
1: correct me if I'm wrong, but there aren't any combat testing. I was just petries. trying. To, yeah, I was trying to think this. I don't think there are. I mean, look, obviously, we have enemies that come out of the encounter deck, which yeah, generally need combat to deal with them uh, permanently. And this locked locked door, which yes, I suppose is, yeah, has a combat option, but that's that's all. There might be the odd one in there. So straight away, yeah. what we can see is that for someone who's who wants to, to to not worry too much about the encounter deck, uh, you want a stock of willpower, don't you?
0: Yeah. This, I think, is why Skidze O'Toole is regarded as on the weaker end, or if not the weakest investigator that we currently have, because he has a measly willpower of two, which means that For almost every willpower test, he's going to be
1: struggling, and that means he has
0: to find other ways of handling the encounter deck. Normally, well,
1: well, exactly, yeah. And at the moment, there's not too many cards like that in either guardian or rogue. Yeah,
0: Moxie is kind of amazing.
1: Yeah, well, we've speculated that 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 each faction may get a card which allows them to cancel an encounter card as it's drawn. Yeah, looks like maybe the guardian one lets you. My theory is the guardian one is let me handle this which makes you draw it instead, which is the last thing that that Skids wants to do.
0: Yeah, the nice thing about Let Me Handle This is that you get the boost, you get the plus two if you're taking one that's a test. So Skids taking a grasping hands, which is an agility test, he loves because then he's a 6v3, that's great. But broadly speaking, low willpower is, is problematic. And actually, I remember one of the things that Matt Newman said to us when we interviewed him at the end of Dunwich. He said that, that's one of the strengths of Mystic, is that even if you don't have your key spells out to help you fight using your willpower or find clues using your willpower, just the fact that you have a high willpower means you're probably doing all right while you're waiting for those spells.
1: Exactly, yeah. You're not having the, the crap beaten out of you by the encounter deck. And of course, of course, the other thing is that Mystic already has a few cards which give you a beneficial effect while you draw an encounter card. So. yeah. Yeah. Uh, th- 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 there's there's one card that was in the core set. The name escapes me, but it, it gives you two clues when you draw an encounter card. <laughs> I was I was desperately searching for what the name of that
0: could be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah you draw an encounter card, and then you get two clues. Yeah. yeah. Well, whatever it's called, okay. uh, I'll, it's, I'll try and remember, and I'll. Yeah. yeah. Listener, if you can if you can think of that <laughs> card, write in and let us know. But but also, actually, this this takes us full circle as well that. The other thing about revelation keyword is that Ward of Protection cancels the revelation effect of cards, and sometimes the revelation effect isn't a test, but it might be something like attaching a card to a location. So Arcane Barrier or Locked Door are good examples of this. So they're also cards that you can cancel with Ward of Protection. Ward of Protection doesn't just cancel taking the tests on a nasty card, it cancels revelation effects on all sorts of things. Similarly, Beyond the Veil surges, but the revelation effect is that you put it in your threat area. So one way that mystics can avoid Beyond the Veil is by never having it end up in their threat area at all by cancelling that revelation effect. We were playing, and my playing buddy was playing as Daisy and had Ward of Protection in hand, I found out later, and he drew Terror from Beyond, which is a peril treachery, and we'll come to peril in a minute, but it has the revelation effect, choose one of the following card types, asset, event, or skill. Each player must discard each card in his or her hand that's the chosen card type, and so on and so forth. And he spent a while in silence thinking, I didn't know what card he had, and finally said event, and I discarded an event and he discarded... No, he must have said something else because he had water protection. He said asset. And We discarded them and we went on with the game, you know, took our turn. And I said, hang on a second, you had Water Protection in hand. Why didn't you just cancel Terror from Beyond? And he went, what? I could have cancelled it. And I think because Terror from Beyond has such a, it has an effect that immediately makes you not think about that card. It makes you think about what you have in hand, what your playing partner has in hand that you may or may not, you know, have they played a lot of assets so far? Okay, maybe they've got a lot left in their hand or oh, I've not seen them play Vicious Blow yet, so he's probably holding on to that. Maybe I shouldn't say skill. It immediately takes you away from thinking about the fact that you're dealing with a treachery card with a revelation effect. And it's actually probably a really good target to cancel. Pay one, cancel its effect. Everyone gets to keep their cards and you take one horror. You know, it's it's quite a good target, I'd say. What do you think?
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, that card in particular is... is uh, it's, it's an interesting one, actually, because uh, I don't know whether other... Other teams are like this, but as soon as you draw it, you immediately all groan and say, why didn't we speak about this before someone drew it? Because we knew it was going to happen. <laughs> and then yeah. As, as, yeah. So, as soon as you've resolved it and everyone's like had to discard all their best cards, you then forget to discuss it <laughs> for the <laughs> next time it comes up. It
0: can be one of the most satisfying ones to call correctly, if you've really read how people are playing, you know, you don't have to intimately know every deck around the table to still make a good judgment. Yeah. But, but yeah, getting it wrong can be really
1: painful. Well, should we talk about Peril then? Because this this is this card has Peril, which you briefly mentioned. Yeah, let's talk about Peril. So Peril has two key effects, one of which is that no one is allowed to advise you what to do as a result of the card. So someone can explain rules of the game to you if you don't know. So don't worry about that, (laughs) especially if you're playing with a new player. You can explain the wording of the card, but you can't tell them. Usually peril cards will have some kind of a choice involved. So do this or do that. You also can't commit any skill cards to a test someone's taking as part of a peril card. Yeah, that's quite right. Yeah, it's quite easy to forget that
0: and i think even in the explaining of peril cards you need to make it if you're a if you're an experienced player and you're teaching a new player you need to avoid as best you can giving them you know uh, leading advice when you explain to them how the peril card works which is um, sometimes tricky i think but yeah important to be cautious with your explaining the example i always think of is in midnight masks there is it must be Hunting Shadow. It's one of the treacheries that comes in the Midnight Masks set. It's Peril, Revelation. You must either choose one, spend one clue, or take two damage. And I definitely have heard that explained before. Of like, Well, you could spend a clue, which you've already taken an action to get, or you could just take two damage. <laughs> Even that, I feel, is giving too much explanation yeah. to uh, you know, guidance
1: to someone who's trying to decide for themselves. There's one in the... In the core set, I think it's in the Agents of Yogsothoth set, which yeah, is yeah, is off, yeah. offer of power. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I I really like that as well. I think that that's a really cool. That's maybe one of the only ones. Oh no! Well, obviously there's there's Hunting Shadow in the core set.
0: Yeah, that's that's yeah that's what I mentioned. I think
1: that's the, that's might be the only other one in the core set, isn't it? Their peril card. That
0: sounds right yeah. to me. Yes, I can't think none of the other sets have one. Yeah, so Offer of Power is draw two cards and place two Doom on the current agenda, which can
1: cause it to advance or take two horror. And I've yet to m- meet someone who placed the two Doom on the agenda and drew, and drew the cards. But I, li- I like I that that offer's there.
0: <laughs> um, the man from Leng in one of his playthroughs, I think is Wendy, where he was looking for a kind of combo kill of the Abomination, interesting. the experiment rather, he used it for the card draw because he was just pacing through the agenda and getting as many cards so he could get in place a double or nothing backstab, manual dexterity kill, and yeah, was just happy to let the agenda tick forwards. What a dude. I thought that was quite interesting. Yeah, it, it was a solo game as well though, which obviously you're only taking away six actions. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, yeah. 24, whatever. One of my favourite peril cards is Psychopomp's Song. Can you remember that card? It's from Blood on the Altar.
1: You remind me what this does. (laughs) I will. Oh, hang on, you give this to another player, don't you? You can
0: put it in any... Yeah, this is the nice thing. You add it to any investigator's threat area. And uh when they would take one or more damage, they take two extra damage and discard the Psychopomp song. So what I love about it is it's a, a choice that's made that doesn't actually have any immediate effect to any investigator, but it's sort of like putting a, a mark upon their back that at some point they're gonna get hurt. I've seen it happen before where it gets all of them get put on the the brawler characters who can take the hits and then it looks like the next time they're going to take damage they'll take <laughs> they'll take five damage and suddenly it's like it's sort of a mini beyond the
1: veil and the brawler's going why have you why have you both given me these psychopomp songs <laughs> yeah and, and and because it says peril you can't even like defend yourself as the, as they're leaning towards you with the card you just got this yeah. look of terror in your eye you can't say no no not me i'm gonna die i'm gonna die yeah yeah, you're sort of all
0: trying to gesture at how much damage you've already taken to make it clear <laughs> to, your, to your
1: buddies. So so that, I guess those are the main keywords. We haven't really talked about hidden at the moment.
0: And we haven't talked about surge either. That's the other.
1: Surge is interesting. Surge is, so surge, how it works is it makes you draw another encounter card, basically. Yep. Surge is often on a card which would have an effect based on a certain board condition, but for whatever reason, that isn't that isn't in place yet. So it might be you have a certain enemy on the board and something happens to it. But if that can't happen, the card gains surge. I see what, see what you mean,
0: yeah. Surge, then, is the sort of backup condition, isn't it?
1: Yes, it, it lets the designer create a card, which is quite specific, but which isn't just a dead card in the encounter deck.
0: Yeah. Miskatonic Museum has a couple of different cards like that, that are to do with the hunting horror yeah so you have stalked in the dark in the dark where if the hunting horror is in play it does something otherwise it surges and then you have slithering behind you which is that if it's in play you put a doom on it but if it's not in play you go and fetch it so you might want to avoid stalked in the dark by not having the hunting horror in play in which case it'll be surging but you also don't want to run into slithering behind you because that will pull the Hunting Horror out of the encounter deck or the void, which is nasty. So they work in a nice sort of, I want to say, sort of in tandem that one punishes you for one condition and one punishes you for the opposite condition, the presence or absence of the Hunting Horror.
1: Yeah, absolutely, yeah. It was, it was things like there's one, is it hunted down in uh, House Always Wins? Yeah, if there are no unengaged criminal enemies in play... Yeah, and then it surges towards you. And then f- false lead is the classic one where if you it does something based on if you have a clue. If you don't have any yeah. clues, it gains surge.
0: Yeah, and it's quite that's quite that's an intellect tester as well. That's a four intellect test. If you have any clues, and you drop a clue for each each point you fail by, which is really pretty nasty. You know, you could have a single clue, a hard earned clue, as Yorick, and then you're taking an intellect four test and. Uh, You sort of end up wishing you didn't have any clues at all.
1: Make sure you end your turn on someone with a low shroud. Yeah, (laughs) and and
0: spend another
1: six actions
0: trying to pick (laughs) that clue back up again. Yeah, and we've seen in Carcosa there are a few more cards doing that as well. There's
1: there's the one with the cultists in the most recent scenario, isn't there?
0: Yeah, so that is the, the King's Edict. So that's for each cultist enemy in play, you move clues onto them and their fight gets boosted. And if there are no clues to be moved, it surges instead. And then we've also seen in the Haster's Gift set, which is the Maniacs and Psychopaths, Dance of the Yellow King. If there are no lunatic enemies in play, it surges. Otherwise, it moves lunatics to your location. So we've got a couple of cards there that if other cards from their set are doing their thing, then... Uh, Dance of the Yellow King and King's Edict will pump them up, but if they aren't in play, they're just search cards to try and get them in play. And the other one is um, Twisted to His Will as well. If there's no Doom in play, it searches.
1: What you can find is if you if you watch these cards, so things like Hunted Down, you can you can almost manage them so you can minimise the effect of if it does it happen. So obviously with Hunted Down, if you've got loads of criminals in play, it's, it's it can be quite nasty. If you've got yeah. no criminal criminals in play, then you get another card anyway. So if you're able to, what you can sometimes do is manage it so that you only have a single enemy in play, or that the effect of the of the encounter card is minimised, to give yourself a slightly yeah. easier mythos phase.
0: It's, it's a a really good point. The nice thing about those criminals, the mobster and the O'Banian's thug, they don't have hunter. So, they, and we'll come to that as a keyword later in this episode. But that means that if you can deal with one without killing it and just leave it at one end of a scenario, down in the Clover Club bar or something in House Always Wins, you can then be busy in the darkened hallway and all of the back, the back rooms. And even if you draw Hunted it Down, it'll just move one location towards you and won't affect you. So, that can be really handy. So, that, that that's a sort of a, a, that's not really printed keyword surge. These are cards that surge instead of having effect the other thing about the the printed keyword surge cards is that often if it says surge and then has a revelation effect often that's because the revelation effect doesn't have an immediate impact on you so beyond the veil surges and then just sits in your threat area and if the rest of beyond the veil was blank that would be a really easy card to handle but obviously it then it sets up an implied threat for later in the scenario and the same with Psychopomp song and then in in carcosa we also have descent into madness which says surge and then revelation if you have at least three horror on you lose an action so if you've if you've had very little horror taken it's still going to surge but that can potentially become a really nasty card if it surges into another copy of itself two actions and yeah it can be can be kind of kind of evil surge i think it's quite a simple effect it's only one card it's you can't sort of have a double surge on a card Given that the game is predicated on each investigator drawing a single card each Mythos phase, surge can really start to to add up the sort of the combinations and the and the potency of an encounter deck if you end up seeing five or six cards in an encounter in, in a Mythos phase. And I, th- I think for that reason, it's always worth being slightly wary of cards surging. I've definitely had playing solo scenarios go south really fast because i get these little one two punches from the encounter deck where i can maybe handle one of the cards but if i'm being hit by two it starts to get tricky you know as a card that say yeah a psychopomps song that attaches to my threat area that surges into a nasty enemy that i'm not going to be able to deal with easily means that it's setting up for this like really powerful enemy to hit me or an enemy that's been empowered so it can be a bit yeah a bit bit painful
1: yeah, it it keeps the effect of the uh of the encounter deck more consistent as well cuz you you don't often get an encounter or encounter phase a mythos phase that's very easy. Yeah. Often there'll be a there'll be a surge in there if if a card wouldn't otherwise have an effect.
0: Yeah. And little shout out to Overzealous at this point, which is one of the yeah. I'd say it's swept up the rankings as one of the
1: nastiest basic yeah. weaknesses. I got that in my uh, my min deck for my blind playthrough oh. of Craft of Carcosa, and it's already Horrid. been horrendous both times it's shown up.
0: Yeah, I, I played Sephina solo and... She does not want to see overzealous early because she's so fragile that just getting, particularly if you're not drawing cards, because she always has a full hand at the start of the game. So, say you draw it in your first or second upkeep phase, and then you get hit by two cards in upkeep, and then go straight into mythos and get hit by a third card. Yeah, that can be scenario ending for poor, fragile Sephana. So, the last treachery encounter card keyword that we have at the moment as far as you and i know peter is hidden and what hidden does it's been introduced in the carcosa cycle when you draw a hidden card it goes into your hand rather than into your threat area or being revealed or things like that and at the moment there are there are four hidden cards whispers in your head anxiety doubt dismay and dread and they restrict you from doing a certain kind of thing they all are got rid of in the same way, which is spending two actions, which is very similar to many basic weaknesses. They stay in your hand. They stay in your hand. They count towards your hand size, but yeah, they can't which is be a discarded. nightmare. Yeah, yeah, that can be fiddly. Obviously, if you're playing multiplayer, everyone else can see that you have an encounter card back in your hand unless you've sleeved your
1: encounter cards and your player cards all in the same coloured sleeves, which I'm sure some people do. <laughs> We've talked about this, and I think this this is a really interesting topic especially considering the theme of these cards. Uh, all the ones we've got so far have Peril as well, so you can't talk about them in your hand, or what they are in your hand. Yeah. We don't know whether that's always going to be the case. Certainly for the style of hidden card we've seen so far, that makes the most sense, but who knows what, what else is going to happen. We wouldn't have anticipated a hidden card before we, we saw them anyway. Yeah, yeah. What I really like is that it... So we're, we're playing a co-op game, so you know everyone's working towards the same, the same goal. There's not been a traitor mechanic in the game so far it could be introduced via something like the hidden keyword but we don't know so we won't speculate on that what it does do is introduce something of a set of paranoia uh, or, or a feel of paranoia where you don't know what your why your colleagues are help aren't helping you do a certain task or why they aren't doing a certain thing you think's a good course of action so you might say, oh, you know, have you got any cards you can put into this test to help me? And they say, nope, sorry. And you, you think to yourself, right, well, is that because that hidden card in his hand is the one that stops him committing cards, or is it because they don't have any? Yeah, yeah. And
0: by tabletalk rules, you shouldn't, you shouldn't mention why you do or don't, right? It's a... Uh,
1: well, and yeah, it, it, it's... Left doubly, vague, yeah. It, it's, you're doubly restricted because the cards have also got peril, so you can't talk about them. Yeah. So you, you're kind of yeah. watching how the other players act, <laughs> and and seeing why that what they do certain things or or why they don't do certain things. If someone's moving very slowly across the map, despite the fact they need to get somewhere quickly, you might think to yourself, "Aha! Yeah. Right, that card in yeah. their hand—that's the whichever one doesn't let them move."
0: Yeah, yeah. I think it, they've, they're certainly interesting because they feel at the moment like something of a halfway house. As you say, halfway between a traitor mechanic and, and not really going for that. They're not necessarily so debilitating to require players to learn entirely new ways of handling them. But they also can be really quite effective. If you end up with two of these in your hand, they can be really punishing, Where you know, you, you obviously can't clear two in one turn unless you're running Leo de Luca or some other way of getting extra actions. And in combination, they can start to be really quite nasty. I, I'm, I'm, so I think I think hidden will come up l- later. We've we've seen them so far t- in two scenarios in Carcosa out of three. I reckon there'll be there'll be at least one more that uses them, maybe more. And perhaps, potentially there'll be other hidden cards, and that that could really start elevating them at that point. But I'm I like them. I think they're they're a nice twist to it. Without I I don't think I wanted anything more complicated than this at this stage. I agree. <laughs> the, the other thing that's very tricky about hidden is that they're hard to do solo.
1: Yeah, it, it's interesting. I, I don't have any experience of solo. I mean, depends who you
0: play. I when I was playing Wendy solo, the no events you can't play events. Whisper in my head is one that you have to immediately clear. You know, it's, there's no option there. You, if you're with an enemy, you evade your enemy first action, and then you clear it because you need your events. But other ones like the no uh, free triggers, she can kind of balance nicely. I do think it's interesting that the the four things that they target, there are Carcosan investigators who really thrive on them. So the no free yeah. triggers, yeah. Turns I was thinking this actually. Sophie, yeah. the no events turns off Sephina. Skill you tests, turns skill off cards, min. yeah, Min. I suppose the double movement just kind of punishes everyone there's no there's no one who particularly needs to move twice that
1: free trigger is quite nasty against uh, Lola as well yeah <laughs> she can't switch roles
0: at that point yeah
1: any of those cards that you you keep around well oh,
0: even something like the arcane initiate as well for digging for spells for Akachi these things that you you have in play Sophie whatever and you're using them regularly for small incremental benefits well you don't you, want anyone catch- you,
1: it catches weakness out when you've got it as well. That's a that's a nightmare. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. You can't can't move resources onto um, angered spirits. Angered spirits, not spirit speaker. No, that's, that's the good one. So that's that's treachery cards. I think I think that's that's covered well. I think there's definitely room for peril and particularly for hidden to be developed more. And I think you know peril is an odd one because solo it doesn't it has no effect. I can often be, you know, you just take it and deal with it. But apart from that, yeah, the there's only these four, but in combination, they can they can start to do some quite tricksy things with the encounter deck. It's always worth watching out for that kind of quasi surge, as you mentioned on on particular cards. Yeah, absolutely. The other half of the encounter deck is made up of enemies. Your your speciality, Peter. Are the rather
1: enemy management. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: I think I think you're a Pro slayer.
1: Yeah. So enemies are something you really have to be ready for because they've shown up in every single scenario. Yeah. Generally, combat is the main way of dealing with them. You can uh, use evade. Yeah. Should we run briefly through the kind of keywords we're seeing on enemies and then we'll talk about enemies more generally? Sounds great. I think probably one of the most common keywords for enemies is spawn. The, the default assumption is if you draw an enemy and there's no other instructions on where to put it uh, on any of the scenario cards, then it's, it appears in your threat area straight away, engaged with you. Yeah. Spawn will override that. Spawn might tell you exactly where an enemy is to go. And in fact, if it's got a spawn instruction you can't follow, then it doesn't appear at all, which vanishes into the ether. Yeah. And I've actually had that before. I've had that on the Devourer below with... because that's got the Acolyte encounter set in it the, the cultist encounter yeah. set and they, they they appear in empty locations and we managed to draw one when every single location was full
0: yeah because an enemy or an investigator can fill a, a location yeah
1: so that was a that was a rare instance of having so many enemies actually worked out quite well for us yeah
0: worth noting for things that spawn on the location with the most clues if if you have locations with zero clues and locate and every location only has zero clues zero can still qualify as the most i've had someone say to me before oh but no location has any clues so there's no most it's it's not a valid spawn location like unfortunately zero clues in a competition with other zeros does qualify as most so that's that's the sort of one quasi exception to the checking if there's a valid location but you know that still means that you can have your thralls appear in some location that you've already cleaned out and that you'll never go back to or things like that.
1: Yeah, quite. So that's spawn. The other very common keyword is hunter. Yeah. These enemies move during the, the enemy phase. They're probably nine times out of ten. It's the only kind of enemy that can move. Enemies yeah. won't move by any other effect other than what's on, a, on an encounter card or a scenario card. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Which specifically says move an enemy. If it doesn't have Hunter, usually it stays where it is.
0: Yeah, and, and the enemy phase is split into two pretty straightforward steps. First, ready enemies with Hunter move if they're not already engaged with an investigator. And then all enemies hit the investigators that they're engaged with. So that's somewhere where evasion does something like double duty on hunter enemies because not only do you get away from the enemy that turn but also they they end up missing their hunt that turn which is why i sometimes find playing a card like think on your feet although it's a nice card to have in in various decks dodging away from hunters when you draw them without evading them means that they then follow you anyway so you end up having to move even further away just to make it worth your while in which case i would rather have just evaded them and and passed the test i mean obviously it's contingent on what enemies i'm up against but but yeah evade evade gives you a little extra boost against hunter enemies yeah absolutely of nasty hunter enemies we've seen i think the avian and beast thralls are some of the worst
1: yeah, of of the recurring ones. Yeah, so that th- there is some yeah some really nasty. I think the what's he called the one of the the cultists in the carnival is terrifying. Uh, is it the baleful baleful reveler? <laughs> baleful reveler. Reve- yes, that's yeah. right. Yeah, he's got he's got hunter and he's he's a nightmare. <laughs> he yeah he hunts and
0: he also has a forced effect which is that after he moves you reveal a token and if you reveal any of the special symbols he he hunts again oh god yeah that's so right you can move twice each turn which is is really nasty if you've looked through all of your encounter cards in the path to carcosa deluxe box you'll have seen a particular enemy with hunter that's a really interesting hunter effect as well a little bit like the bell for reveler and that's the swift buyer key and it has a forced effect that says when swift buyer key would move via the hunter keyword, instead move it one location at a time until it enters its prey's location. If it moves more than one location by this effect, it does not attack. So the buyer key is basically, it will always find you, <laughs> no matter if you're five, six, however many locations away, it's going to zoom and find you. So it's going to be really interesting finding out how to deal with that and everything that I just said about evading enemies gets you a bit more distance away from hunter enemies is, you know, sort of, even if you get four locations away, the Bayaki will still hunt you down. Um, yeah, I'm looking forward to facing it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Any other hunters worth note? I suppose that the other one that I don't, I mean, rats are hunters as well, remarkably, and they have quite a high evade, I think, a three evade? Yeah, Not that you'd ever <laughs> evade rats, but, you know, it, they are slightly irritating that if you leave them behind, they will come and irritate you and, and hit you for small amounts of damage. And then the other, I think, notable hunter is Whippoorwills from the Dunwich Legacy.
1: Yes. Uh, and well, this brings us nicely on to another enemy keyword, which is aloof. Mm, so yeah, so the, yeah. the, the Whippoorwills, I, I really like the Whippoorwills. I think they're a really interesting enemy. They kind of follow you around, annoying you. <laughs> Yeah, singing a a distracting song. Aloof means that uh, an enemy doesn't automatically engage with you when you enter a a location, which sounds great, but you have to spend an action to engage it, and you cannot attack it unless you are engaged with it. So generally what we find is aloof enemies do something nasty in the background of a scene and are awkward to get rid of, because not only do you have to move to their location, you have to engage them before you can deal with them. Yeah, it, it throws off your turn planning maths doesn't it when you're dealing
0: with say an acolyte who has a doom on it you can move move if you're two locations away and then last action attack and you can kill the acolyte but if for some reason the enemy that you want to deal with is two locations away and they're aloof you need that sort of fourth action to get there pull them up and and then land the attack and i saw that happen quite a lot in echoes of the past where the Seekers of Carcosa are aloof, and you really want to deal with those enemies fairly efficiently, don't you?
1: Yes, yes. Well, one of the reasons why I love Taunt so much is that it lets you do that for free. they are quite often found. An awkward situation is, is involves an aloof somewhere, an enemy somewhere in the mix. Especially if you're in Dunwich, yes, it's yeah. likely to be a Whippoorwill.
0: The more aloof enemies we see, the more powerful effects are that deal damage to enemies that aren't part of fights. So we talked about this with Storm of Spirits in our card reveal episode. The fact that it can damage every enemy at your location, including the ones that you can't take fight actions against because they're aloof, is really useful. And similarly, Agnes's one damage to an enemy ability when she takes horror is really, really potent, dealing with small enemies that you actually don't want to spend multiple actions dealing with. I think that's why Whipple's are so good, because they're only one health.
1: Yes. They just...
0: They seem like they they shouldn't take multiple actions to deal with, and yet if you don't deal with them, they can just ruin test after test for you and make you expend so many more resources. You know, passing other tests that you should normally succeed at. Yeah, they're really nasty. They're. Um, I think whipwills are some of my favourite enemies from Danich because they're just every time I see one, it's like oh.
1: Yeah, and I, I I
0: know the exact feeling. Yeah. <laughs> A particular time is if you're in the hidden chamber trying to collect the clues, you've decided to stay in the hidden chamber, take the hit from Silas Bishop so that you can then like clear up the following turn, get all the last clues. And yeah. <laughs> and then you draw a Whippoorwill on your Mythos phase and it's like, oh, all of my stats reduced and it's going to sit in here and I'm going to have to leave the chamber and get it to come out and then I'm going to have to go back into the... Ch-. You know,
1: just that feeling of annoyance is so satisfying to have from an encounter card so frank i'm going to ask you what do you think is the opposite of aloof uh Fula? <laughs> i think that's just
0: it backwards isn't it i suppose the opposite would be some kind of effect that means that the enemy's not only engaged with you but engaged with every single investigator at its location well
1: it's interesting you should say that the next keyword that we're just going to have a quick look at is massive which is reserved, really, for the big centerpiece monsters in the game. Yes, things that it, are, it really are is. massive tend to also be elite, although not always. A, a good, a good example of a of a massive enemy that's quite a signature enemy of the last cycle are the Broods of Yog-Sothoth from Undimensioned and yeah. Unseen, and they stomp yeah. around the place, causing all sorts of trouble.
0: And they aren't elite, importantly.
1: They aren't There's elite. So various things like mind wipe works. Finally, a useful mind wipe makes them not massive, yes, not massive yeah. somehow. Yeah. And we now have things like um, anatomical diagrams
0: could also be incredibly useful against them. It's a
1: Yeah, yeah so.
0: non-elite, which is good. The thing that I notice
1: com- that comes
0: up with massive enemies is because they don't get placed in your threat area, it's easy to forget that if you take That you're engaged with them and then by extension that if you take anything other than a fight parlay evade or resign action you'll get hit and particularly in undimension unseen because the broods themselves are moving around it can be easy to forget that you're engaged with one and therefore if you move away from it it'll hit you on the way out particularly when you're playing with lots of people i mean something that can kind of slip under the radar and massive enemies they're really. I think they're really worth thinking about in terms of remembering that you are engaged with
1: it or considered engaged with it. I was going to say there is a hidden advantage, which is that uh, if you want to move away from one, you do take an attack of opportunity, but the enemy doesn't follow you. It stays in its location. Yes. So ultimately you can walk away from them. And this can be used to, to some effect, especially if you've got cards like dodge. I remember in extracurricular activities... Quite often, when the, the the experiment appears, we'll do various tricks with moving ahead of it and and moving into it, and I think it can even move away from your investigators, can't it? If the agenda yes, yes, advances, if it at gets doomed,
0: yeah, it, on it marches.
1: Yeah, so yeah, it, that that's worth remembering. Yeah, definitely worth remembering, and I think that's where I mean,
0: obviously, it's in the keyword massive that they they can spread their influence across the table because two of you can both end up dealing with the same enemy it's also where i think evading a massive enemy can be useful obviously some massive enemies have particular abilities so umordoth in the corset campaign night of the zealot has that forced effect that that readies it after every investigator's turn and the experiment has a forced effect that readies it at the start of the enemy phase. So evading them doesn't actually buy everyone time. But the broods of yogs have often the really interesting exception there that evading them does buy all investigators at their location a bit of time because the brood will will be exhausted and then will move on that turn due to undimension Unseen being a weird scenario. Silas is the other great example where if you can pass and evade seven test everyone doesn't get hit a simple evade seven well and yeah we joke about it but i've passed it before with with none other than skidze tool (laughs) has cruised in there and passed it which is yeah it's almost not worth it for the effort you put in given that he doesn't get attacks of opportunity but yeah massive massive is a fun keyword i think i i definitely like as you pointed out that you can manipulate it because they don't follow you you can move away you can it offers a bit of bit of freedom to play around with it it
1: it tends to be reserved for the 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 set piece monsters of a of a scenario doesn't it yeah
0: yeah that's quite right
1: yeah the second last keyword we've got is retaliate this is relatively straightforward this means if you attack an enemy and miss it will attack you back yeah and it's an attack like the attack it would
0: have in the enemy phase and like an attack of opportunity so if you have something like a dodge as you just mentioned you can cancel that retaliation If you've got other things that trigger off being attacked,
1: like hypnotic gaze, you can play them when you're being retaliated against. So if you can find a way to damage them without attacking them, that's often quite good with a retaliate enemy. Or if you can attack it when it's not engaged?
0: No, when it's not ready.
1: Yeah. Not ready. When it's exhausted. If it is ready and it's not engaged. Oh yeah, but then it would be engaged with someone. The worst possible
0: situation is that it's engaged with another investigator and you attack it and fail and that means you you hit your playing
1: partner, and the monster hits you. Yes, <laughs> that's the that's what you really don't want. Yeah, especially if it's a ma- if it's a massive enemy, because then it attacks everyone, doesn't it? Is that right? Uh, no, 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 Does it no. it just attack no. you? Uh, the, a massive enemy will
0: attack each investigator at its location in the enemy phase. Probably should have mentioned that in massive. Oh well, but a, re- a retaliate will just be against the person who triggered. Okay. It. Yeah.
1: That's not so bad. I don't know whether any massive enemies have Retaliate, though. Hunting Horror,
0: if the Hunting Horror gets massive. Yes. the Hunting Horror has built up that big, it has Hunter and Retaliate. Yeah, Yeah. I've had a lot of fun in House Always Wins trying to kill a mobster with a fire axe that was engaged with uh, my friend who was playing Jim, and Jim took quite a lot of damage from the fire axe, and I took quite a lot of damage from the mobster retaliating and punching me, which, yeah... Lola with a fire axe isn't always reliable, yeah. and I kept saying, "Trust me, trust me, I can do this." <laughs> and the more I said that, the I think I missed three times. So she was only pretending to be good with the fire axe; she was acting. She was acting. I don't mean to bang the th- this. Definitely, the plan was not to bang the evasion drum and talk about how great evasion is. But it is actually interesting putting all these keywords together that the evasion deals with the keywords better than just killing the enemies does. But what you miss out on by evading enemies is removing them entirely. So you can evade a hunter-retaliate enemy, and that means it it won't get to hunt that turn. And if you take any further attacks against it, it won't get to hit you back. But you'll have to deal with it again at some point. Yeah, I've I've not really thought about it that way. I mean, I I still think that the best way to deal with enemies is to kill them. But I, I also think, you know, an enemy does have three statistics along the top and it's always worth keeping an eye on that right hand evade value in case there's some way of fooling with it i
1: think i tend to look at evade as as a backup for if we're unable to attack an enemy first up or for mitigating the risks of not all of our attacks succeeding so so sometimes spreading killing an enemy over two turns is for sure is better than maybe doing it in one turn but risk getting hurt if you do or if you fail to do it cuz that can leave you in a far worse position
0: yeah so you know our, our best fighter slasher vader is probably skidzotool with his four agility He's, obviously he has to pump up his combat a bit higher to be a really reliable fighter. But I found with him, having that flexibility can be useful. Just earlier today we were Playing House Always Wins and I was engaged with two enemies and I was fighting with a machete. So I evaded the first enemy, took a couple of hits at the second enemy, which was a Servant of the Lurker, and didn't kill it, but he doesn't have Retaliate. So then last action had Leo. Uh, last action I evaded the Servant of the Lurker. has a paltry two evade value so it's quite easy to dodge so i ended up with two evaded enemies at my location and had done a bit of damage
1: can be handy well finally then we'll just talk briefly about prey prey it, it, it's it's only it's worth mentioning as people get very confused about prey i think i have as well yeah prey is yeah. basically a, a tiebreaker for an enemy that needs to decide who where to move to if it's got hunter uh or who to engage and it will attempt to follow the prey instruction where it can. If there's a tie, I believe the lead investigator decides. A
0: tie for the prey, you
1: mean? Yes. So say, investigator with the most most clues, and two investigators are tied for the most clues. Yes, then yeah, you're exactly right, lead
0: investigator.
1: There is is a slight wrinkle to this in that some enemies, usually weakness-type enemies, will say prey bearer only, or, or a particular investigator only. And they they will move as if they, as if no other investigators exist, and engage as if no other investigators exist. Yeah. However, you spot on. You can engage them if you want to. So if that if the graveyard ghouls, for instance, is moving through your location, you can take an action to engage it, and finish it off for Yorick. Although he probably won't thank you for that, knowing Yorick. Yorick. Yeah. Yeah, he's he's saving. He's buried them deep. Yeah. Uh, maybe he really wants to play something from his discard pile. I don't know. Anyway, yeah, <laughs> that's true too. Yeah. So yeah, so so prey, prey's relative. I mean, there's there's not really much to say about prey except. Well, the interesting thing is that those are two different effects. The prey and prey bearer only. I must admit, this this ha, this has occurred to me as well. That they're they're worded the same, but they have very different effects. Prey bearer only almost turns something into an enemy, like it's got a loof. So everyone else can move around alongside it without any any trouble at all. They're
0: almost separate abilities there. The the Prey tiebreaker one, and then
1: Prey, this enemy is
0: very specific for for one
1: person. It's interesting that an enemy could move into your location, and it says Prey, but you're the only person at your location. Most of the time, that would mean no matter what Prey says, it engages with you. Unless it says mm, yeah. Prey Bearer only, in which case it wouldn't. It would move straight past you. So it so it, it, yeah. it changes the meaning of Prey depending on what what's after the, the, the semicolon or the I dash. I suppose the,
0: the dash, yeah. I suppose the situation really there with Prey is that the chances of you drawing a weakness enemy out of your deck and then being further away than all other investigators is fairly slim. Well, you say that, but then what happens when you draw the thing that follows? <laughs> Damn, I'm being called out in all kinds of ways here. Yeah, then it's far away from you, and it comes for you. I've
1: not yet played with the thing that follows. Oh, it's great! Fun. It's it's very thematic. Just slowly, it, it very rarely gets to you. But have you seen the film? It follows. No, I haven't. I it's, haven't. A, yeah, it's a very good film. You should watch that if you get a chance. But it, it has this this inexorable dread to it, where the, the 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 thing that follows is slowly works its way towards you, no matter what. And it feels like that <laughs> in Arkham as well. It pops up at the far end. And you're like, oh, don't worry about that. Don't worry about that. Before you know it, it's right on top of you. You're like, oh, no, we've got to deal with this now. Yeah, why did he not all help uh, yeah. me? <laughs> <laughs> it was miles away before. Now it's suddenly here.
0: That's very good. The other thing I love about Prey is, is that just keeping an eye on conglomeration of spheres that go for the lowest willpower, Seven of the Lurker goes for the lowest agility, The, the these effects can really ruin your day if you have a character who's a designated tank or a designated enemy dealer and they want all enemies to engage with them so that they can take the hits and
1: deal out the damage. And I've definitely been in a situation where I've Sat. I've moved into a location after someone's evaded an enemy, and then sat there waiting for it to ready, so I can engage it rather than my than my colleague. And we're all sitting there, all smug, and then it ready, so we realise it's got a prey keyword, so it engages <laughs> back to the person who's just evaded it,
0: yeah, instead yeah. of me
1: who wanted to engage it. So yeah, it it, it it can definitely catch you out. Yeah,
0: and the thralls also have have the the two the beast thrall and the avian thrall also have prey instructions, which just makes them fiddly you just have to be aware of it you can't just assume that they're going to track towards you in an in an obvious way avian thrall i think is lowest intellect and lupine thrall is lowest agility so again they might not be the same person necessarily unless you're playing as zoe samaras with your two intellect and your two agility
1: yeah well we've we've rambled on quite a bit there is there anything else we want to cover on encounter keywords I can't think of anything. Okay, so Frank, here's the million-dollar question. Yeah. What's your your favourite encounter card, or the one that you think is, I don't know, maybe the most fun or has got the the coolest idea on it? What do you like?
0: Um, Easy question, Peter. I'm so glad you asked me. Ancient Evils. Oh, no, no,
1: get out. (laughs) This is it,
0: podcast over. (laughs) It's like the most vanilla, and yet also... the It is actually some of my favourite art, by the way. I do... I do love what Ancient Evils hints at. It's r- really cool, um, man. there are many to choose from. I think I've just I've just been playing through Dunwich again solo as Yorick. So I've just done the tail end of that and had my my investigator firmly driven mad and wearing weights. So they're the ones that are sort of in my head at the moment, and particularly some of the undimensioned and unseen ones are so nasty. Towering Beasts, that is a nasty one, isn't it? That's a Peril card. Yeah. Revelation attached to a Brood if the enemies at your location take damage and it pumps them up. I drew that twice actually playing as Yorick and uh, there were no Broods in play because I was being a pro Brood Slayer. Very satisfying. <laughs> no Surge Effect if there were no Broods. Got you there, Matt Newman. You missed out on a Surge Effect opportunity. Yeah,
1: but he feels like a right idiot now.
0: Yeah, exactly. I like Taron The other one actually I really love is, it's sort of a vanilla effect. Visions of Futures Past. Yeah. A high willpower test that makes you lose cards. I just think is, I love the art on that as well. I wonder who did the art on that. Brian Valenzuela. It's so satisfying if you fail that test and mill your own weaknesses, which is just great. It's so, it can, it's so nasty if you see it mill, like, Tens of experience you know it hits you and you lose your shotgun and your brother's avia and your i've had worse like all the next cards in your deck and you're like no that's <laughs> two scenarios worth of xp i just think that's really satisfying and also i love that it goes from being essentially not too bad to being terrifying if you're if you have beyond the veil out which i just I, I really like that as a design that it's it can mean different things at different times in a scenario. How about you? What about what are your favourite treacheries and enemies? Well,
1: I, 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 have a, I have a few favourite treacheries. I tend to prefer treacheries. I, I quite there's some I quite like for their the way they mess with you. What's that one in House Always Wins? Is it something in the drinks? Yes. Yeah. Which should totally be called uh, Slip to Mickey. <laughs> I like how that. We got surprised by it because <laughs> we had a drink cause yeah. we didn't know there was any downside and then that popped up. But you can draw that and then find out what's going to happen, what it's linked to afterwards, which is which is quite cool.
0: Yeah. Or you can draw it really early in that scenario bef- before anyone's had a chance to drink. That's right, yeah. And that, that can be really... like It's really painless at that point.
1: I really like the peril ones. I really like Terror from Beyond. I think that's a really cool effect. And I really like... Couple of the Peril ones I quite like as well, but what I think my favourite is possibly Beyond the Veil. Okay, yeah, because I think it even it just existing, and once you know it exists, it totally changes the way you play those scenarios where it where it shows up. And in fact, it it infects the way you think and the way you build your deck for the whole campaign. It's a real signature campaign card. Now, it's the one that stands out. As, as being yeah, one of the cards in, yeah. in, in the Dunwich campaign.
0: Here's a fun Beyond the Veil anecdote for you. I was playing Extracurricular Activity, the Skids and Daisy hard playthrough we're doing, and Skulls in Extracurricular Activity are minus one, uh, minus two. If you fail this test, discard five cards. Maybe they're minus three. Minus two or minus three. There's something nasty. And I drew Beyond the Veil, and I had, I think, 11 cards left in my deck. And we played our next turn, you it yes. surged into something innocuous. And I said to Ben, who was playing as Daisy, I said, you know, it would be dreadful if I drew visions of future past <laughs> and drew a skull. You only have yourself to blame from this point. <laughs> I would have a score of zero and I would fail by five and lose five cards. And I would lose five cards from the skull and... The next turn, I drew a visions of future past. No joke. I'm not. I'm not making this up just for the podcast. I drew. a I drew a visions of future past. I drew a skull. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> just lost a third of my deck in one hit and was eliminated by damage. Oof. I had Leo out, but that's ten damage, and that that's Leo
1: plus Skids is ten, <laughs> and that was the end of my scenario. Nice. I have been in a situation where I could have survived it. Actually, I think I had one or two. Uh, I've had worse in my hand. Just briefly, I just remember one of my other favourite ones. This is a silly one, but locked door. I like locked door. Oh, really? Yeah. You like locked door because you, if we can remember the name of that card
0: that allows you to get clues for, drawing
1: yeah, I'm sure someone will
0: write in and tell us that
1: it works. It works through locked door, doesn't it? It does. Yeah, and I, I, I like the idea. Yeah. It, it's it's nice and flavourful because it's a it's a locked door, and yeah. you can see that stopping you getting something you want. And it gives you two yeah. really cool ways of dealing with it. Either you pick the lock or you boot the door open. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And it gives something, those more physical characters, something to do in those scenarios, which is which is nice if it's just an investigation scenario. And it gives certain investigators a way around the the encounter card as well. So using cards like... It, it's in Echoes of the Past, isn't it? Yes, it is. Yes, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It crops up And in there quite it's quite places. interesting
0: because the brawler is busy in Echoes of the Past running around dealing with enemies because they're advancing the agenda. And then normally in a investigation-heavy scenario, exactly as you say, they don't have that much to do. But suddenly they can get really bogged down being like, I'll come and break that door down for you, but just give me a minute because there's someone on the third floor I need to deal with first. That can, yeah, it can be really fun.
1: Okay, well I think that's that's us, isn't it?
0: I think that's us yeah I, the the lovely thing is that it feels like there's so much room for growth with so many of these keywords we, we've, and that uh, leads it looks me like being very optimistic about the game
1: matt has tasted a lot of different or or whoever's been designing the encounter cards I, i'm i'm sure it's not just just matt who's doing all of the design is it
0: yeah he is now the lead developer yeah
1: well, I mean, they all come through him, I guess. But it feels like he's yeah. tasting lots of different dishes. There's a little bit of this, a little bit of that. And he could, there's a lot more, if you ever wants to go back and explore any of them, there's a lot more there. There's a lot of meat left in the way he he's designing these encounter cards, like Hidden. I think we'll have barely yeah. scratched the surface of what we could do with Hidden by the end of this, even this whole campaign.
0: Yeah. I I like as well that the the framework, even at this point, seems to be quite strong. There's not sort of 16 different keywords on enemies and another 14 on encounter cards We're really looking at, at fewer than 10 at the moment, but within those keywords, there's a lot of room for nice combinations that the encounter deck can pull off and nice nastiness. And yeah, you can play around with a lot of lot of different. And when
1: kinds. I've been talking to one of my friends who's designing his own scenarios at the moment, there's often a few different ways of of getting similar effects as well, which is which I think is quite cool. You can you know, he can. You can attack it in different different ways. I like that. I think that's really cool.
0: Yeah, really good. Yeah.
1: So, if you want to
0: get in touch with us, I'm fbeph underscore bee on Twitter. I'm zoe glass and zozo around the place. Uh, I write the FAQ entries on the Arkham DB, for instance. You can comment on a deck of mine if you want to get my attention, or you can find me on Twitter or around the place. Peter, how can people get in touch with you?
1: Well, I'm everywhere as Unitals. That's U-N-I-T-L-E-D. I'm on Discord. I'm on the Reddit running Card of the Day. Yeah. Various other places as well. And, yeah, on the Twitter. So, did I, did, I say Twitter twice? Maybe. Okay. Never mind. But are you on Twitter? I, yeah, but only once. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> don't,
0: look, don't talk to Unital 2 or 3 oh, God, any no, of those, those imposters. They're the worst, those guys. And then you can also get in touch with the podcast directly. We're on Twitter as Drawn to the Flame. Our Facebook page is Drawn to the Flame as well. It's creeping up in numbers. Thank you to our Facebook friends who've got us up to 300 likes. That feels really special. Thank you. And you can also email us. We're Drawn to the Flame podcast at gmail.com. Thank you very much to everyone who's been writing. It's really great to see your questions and thoughts and keep them coming.
1: Brilliant. Thank you so much. Thanks very much for listening. Bye
0: in dunwich there is a few cards in the sorcery set like pushed into the beyond and terror from beyond isn't
1: that the no right this annoys me sorry i'm gonna i'm gonna slightly rant for a second that yeah there is there's a set called the beyond isn't there that has beyond the veil, yes, but not pushed into the beyond, and, and or terror, terror from, from beyond, beyond yeah. which are in the sorcery set. <laughs> this is like, yeah, I'm pretty sure I'm going to check. Matt, just sort, sort it out. It's this is this is a ridiculous no. state of affairs. Have I got it the wrong way? I think it's the wrong way around. Wrong way around. I think sorcery is visions yeah. of future, past, and beyond yes. the veil, and the
0: beyond is pushed into the beyond. Terror from beyond, an arcane barrier. Yeah, it's.
1: It, I mean, it's it's frankly ridiculous. Yeah, it, it says it says something like, hang on, I'll, I'll find the exact rule.
0: I'm on the DB so if Yeah, I
1: it, if you, it says something like it moves and engages as, as if no other enemies... Uh, no it only
0: th- moves towards and engages that investigator as if it were the only investigator in play yeah. and ignores all other investigators while moving and engaging. Other investigators may use the engage action or card abilities to engage the enemy. I mean, I'm not going to say it it's was what exactly they, what yeah. I said,
1: Frank, but it's pretty much yeah, yeah, pretty, pretty, pretty much spot on.